so my name is Melinda Weber, and I am the owner at Weberhaus German Shepherds, and we are located in Ottawa, Kansas. Um, I've been in the breed of German Shepherds for about 20 years, and uh, my journey with the dogs essentially started when I got involved um, you know, with a small, like, Schutzen group who wasn't really a club, just a Schutzen training group. And um, I started my first working German Shepherd, which was a Czech DDR dog. Um, she's a dog who I obtained an IGP, or, well, at the time, I guess it would be a Schutzen one, on. And um, after that, I continued um, raising and working the progeny from that dog and that's really where my breeding career started and it was because um when i originally started um i kind of went through a couple of situations where i bought dogs from breeders or i tried to work with breeders who didn't actively work and train and title their dogs and because of that they were not able to give me direction as far as um, what puppies would be better suited for a working dog versus a puppy that was, you know, maybe just a companion dog. Mm -hmm. um, I also had somebody who wasn't super upfront about their documentation of health testing with the dogs. And kind of one of those, like, if I knew then what I knew now, I probably would have made some better decisions. So my decision, essentially, to breed my dog was to give me the next generation of dogs that I could work where I absolutely knew that the proper health testing was done and I wasn't having to take anyone else's word for it, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, I used to put on a bite suit um, as well when I first started out for police dogs um, and I actually spent 17 years training police canines and varying different types of detection dogs everything from bed bug detection um, protection dogs obedience dogs uh, trained my own dogs and shuts in continuously and um, then I kind of continued to move upwards in the company that I was working for at the time uh, and went into full dual-purpose police dog work. Um, you know, I, I do no longer do that, um, and I do have, at this time, a um, working dog online store that I own and operate with my husband, Brett Weber, uh, called Canine Access. And um, we essentially are providing working dog equipment for anything that, like, a working dog handler might need from quality leashes uh, collars, all the way up to um, bite work equipment. Um, over the 20 years, I have raised and trained and titled um, many, many dogs. And I've formulated a excellent way of um, raising, testing, and um, building my puppies up so that they have all the proper exposures and so that we can get puppies placed into the most appropriate homes possible. So kind of the main reason that I went with German Shepherds is, is because um, the breed was really developed um, in Germany to be a working dog. And with that being the case, um, all of the, you know, the versatility options that I was able to get uh, through the actual German Shepherd. You know, they are kind of the jack-of-all-trades, um, second-best-at-everything kind of dog. And these were dogs that I could live with in my house as a companion. They were dogs that I could work on the field, um, and they would do a really good job. But then they were also dogs that um, I felt safe um, when I would travel across the country with my dog in the front passenger seat of my car and I felt safe. And so I felt like the, this particular breed was just a very well-balanced dog. They were able to adapt um, when properly bred to a lot of different scenarios, environments. Uh, and for me, it was just a dog that, you know, in addition to doing Schultzen with my dogs um while I was working with the police dogs and doing all that stuff too I was actually taking my personal dog to work with me and multiple dogs that I owned were actually 
trained and sent. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Detection um, and used for police demo work in addition to being able to go out on the Schultzen field and trial and work for me and then come home and be my buddy. Um, so, so the history of the German Shepherd essentially is that, um, they were originally herding dogs and they were dogs being used to herd sheep in Germany and the dogs were, um, essentially then kind of developed even more so into working police dogs and dogs that did different types of service work for people and not necessarily, you know, just dogs that were performing, um, like medical tasks, but dogs that were, um, working for, um, like tracking suspects, dogs that were being used to detect, uh, contraband dogs that were being used to do apprehension of dangerous suspects. Um, and then they developed the Schutz and Trials as a, um, as a breed test for the dogs, essentially. So in Germany, they said if a dog is going to be bred, these are the tests that the dog has to uh, be able to complete, showing that the dog had proper temperament, proper nerve strength, proper health of the dog to actually be able to perform the tasks that were being requested of them. Well, initially, there was um, a multitude of of dogs that kind of went into it they there were different dogs that were um unpedigreed animals essentially mm-hmm. that were a part of the creation of the breed um and some of those dogs were almost just kind of like country hound type dogs right. dogs that were hurting the sheep and stuff like that and then um the founder of the breed which was max von Steckens, he would select dogs that were of certain trait types to get the pointy ears brought into the breed um and then he would select dogs for certain colorings um and they essentially even bred to some dogs that were almost kind of similar to like livestock guardian dog great pyrenees type dogs and then um and then they went through and decided that they were going to weed out the gene for dogs that were white so that they didn't match the sheep mm-hmm. that they were herding. The German Shepherd breed, um, once they got it set to kind of more of a typey type dog, what ended up occurring is, is that dogs were um, being used in different countries um, in and around Germany and Europe for different purposes. One of the big things that has that is pretty well known about the split among the breeds is that there was a split that happened among working dogs and show line dogs um, that was a product of the Martin brothers who were looking for more of the big black and red um, type of dog that is turned into the show line dog that we see today whereas the working line dogs were then separated into almost a different need for work based on the locations of the dogs Mm -hmm. the some of the dogs remained in west germany that were used for um you know ipo competition shows and competitions and then some of the dogs um were in the Czech Republic and they were being used as border patrol dogs. The dogs that were over in East Germany become a different subset being used for border patrol dogs. Then you also seen the, um, the dogs that were in Slovakia being used on the borders of Slovakia. And realistically, 
they all each formulated a bloodline that kind of had a different subset of traits that were mostly being used for um, the main function that the dogs were being used for. Mm-hmm. And so then we became, then we ended up with a division of bloodlines and a lot of people, um, you know, have certain bloodlines that they like for different reasons. And I would say there are obviously generalizations among certain bloodlines that can be very true. And then there's definitely some that we really don't see that as being the case anymore because as the dogs have come into the um, more modernized version of our German Shepherds, I do think the dogs have gotten better. Um, Probably one of the biggest um, lax areas where the German Shepherd has kind of fallen um, from grace though would be a lot of what's being bred under like the American pet line situation because the um, the original dogs that um, were in the United States became dogs that um, became very typey slab sided dogs um, that lacked a lot of substance but were um, weaker nerve dogs because they were not being tested for the nerve and the temperament of a German Shepherd. And then you see a lot of that kind of cropping up in show line dogs, in the American show line dogs specifically. Um, those dogs, there are still some very nice ones out there um, because I think a lot of the breeders have started moving more towards less extremes and are focusing more heavily on temperament. Um, which I think is obviously a great thing for a breed moving forward. And I do think that to a degree, we do see a little less of the um, extremes in both types of show line dogs, um, whereas before we had some pretty serious extremes mm-hmm. um, with the roachback type dogs and stuff like that. And now the, the breeders are all moving away from that, um, which is going to in turn have a healthier um, long-lived animal that is more suitable for working type purposes like its original purpose sure. yeah so like on a genetic level for the german shepherd dog is um you know there are definitely some dogs that with kizik hands free shoes motion sounds something like this Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Become somewhat bottlenecked. The East German DDR dog, for one, is a dog, is a bloodline that has very 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 much bottlenecked itself because once the wall was torn down there were very few breeders who tried to maintain the purity of the east german ddr dogs and due to that fact um you know most of the lines have been bred outside of the uh, East German dogs and crossed over to the West dogs and crossed over to the Czech dogs and things like that. And not that that is actually detrimental because I do think that in some cases that did um, definitely help balance out temperament, improve the dogs on both sides um, and made for a better dog that we have today. But there are a few breeders, um, myself is included in that, that, do still have a few pure East German DDR bloodlined dogs who are fully health tested, fully titled, and still show good working capabilities. Um, but that is definitely one bloodline that's um, definitely seen bottlenecking within our genetic gene pool. And as far as um, you know, some of our other lines is is that you know there are obviously influential dogs that we see uh, cropping up every couple years. And you definitely get a lot of their progeny out there. And um, and it's definitely a situation where it's hard to find pedigrees that don't have, you know, one of the, you know, multiple times showing up of the uh, one in like five of the most recent top dogs. 
I think that as a whole, our our breed and our gene pool is plenty large enough that, you know, for most of the people who are breeding dogs, it's easy to go and find a dog that is an outcross mm-hmm. without having to consider looking at finding other breeds to bring into the gene pool or something like that. Our our gene pool for working German shepherds overall is actually fairly, fairly large. And, and I don't believe that we're anywhere near needing like new blood in that sense Mm -hmm. as much as, um, I just, I think that more of our, uh, breeders should become more educated on the individual genetics behind these dogs. Mm -hmm. And that by doing so, and by making good outcrossings, um, which is something that Germany has really done a great job with, um, and Czech Republic as well, are all kind of um, intermingling, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. as far as being willing to cross borders to get dogs bred to an appropriate male or female. And due to that, there have been some excellent, excellent dogs that have been put out um, with very, very open pedigrees. Um, and we've seen a lot more of that in the last like 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. You know, my journey into the police dog world essentially started because being a female, um, there's not a lot of females who are willing to put on bite suits. And there was not a lot of females who were like, Oh yeah, that's fine. You can just kind of send a police dog on me. And, um, you know, I'll help you work the dogs. And the individual who I used to work with um, used to kind of tell me about that. He would say, this is amazing that you'll put on this bite suit, like let my police dogs bite you. Um, there's not really a lot of women who would do that. And and I did start doing that at a very young age. Um, I was probably like 16, 17 when I started doing that. Um, and, it, and at that time, it was pretty uncommon. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, for me, it was like a cool adrenaline rush. Um, and, and in fact, I, and I always will have a special place, um, kind of in my heart for dogs that are kind of the old police dog type style dogs. I like a really hard dog. I like a strong dog. I don't mind a dog that wants to grumble at me and tell me that they, you know, didn't like what was going on and communicate in a fair, you know, manner. Um, and uh, for me, uh, that was, you know, that was kind of where my journey began as far as like, you know, learning more about dogs, learning how to read drives, learning how to read temperament, knowing um, how, to, how far to push a dog and how to help that dog overcome something that what they were struggling with and just seeing a dog being built up is a great and very rewarding feeling that you get um but i just really enjoyed working the dogs i enjoyed um the aspect of knowing that once that dog completed its training that that dog was going to go out there and help you know possibly back up an officer and help keep them safe help them find something that you know was possibly going to take drugs off the streets um you know, which in turn could save lives. And for me, that was something that was so very rewarding Mm -hmm. to know that training those dogs and helping get them into situations where they could help people um, be safe, that that meant the world to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, the the nice thing about doing it as well is uh, as someone who early on was just kind of thinking about the like a future breeding or thinking about getting involved more heavily with the dogs, working those types of dogs and being around them. um, It showed me a lot of things about certain dogs or traits that I liked in dogs. And so when I was able to make a decision to become a breeder or to look for a stud dog for a female that I had, um, it helped me understand all the pros and cons of the individual dogs that I had. And it helped me understand what I really wanted to complement um, those dogs. My my only reason, um, you know, for 
I guess, not working in that field any longer was just because um, I put a whole lot of kind of work into wanting to become my own boss, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and have my own business. And, um, you know, and I was grateful that I had friends to help me along the way, um, get me set up and, you know, be a, a real awesome part of me being able to, you know, have custom items, uh, that were my ideas being put kind of to fruition as far as, you know, equipment that I was like, Hey, well, this would make this piece of equipment better. And this would make this piece of equipment lighter and more functional for this or that or the other application. And, um, getting involved in, in that kind of stuff and kind of getting my own brand made and, um, and starting my business. And then I started, uh, traveling to events where we would set up like as an onsite vendor, uh, that really just kind of started, um, taking off and it became a situation where for me, um, it, was pretty consuming as far as uh, my time. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I had to make a decision on whether or not I was going to continue a full-time job um, with police dogs or whether I was going to try to get this company off the ground. And that's the decision I made. So um, when I first got, when I got my first German Shepherd, my intention was to compete in the sport of Judson. And for me, um, it was always something that I just really thought was a great relationship between the handler and the dog. It showed a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication. And I believe that, um, it truly just made a, a, a bond that with the dog that you worked, that you wouldn't get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I religiously um, would drive 45 minutes um, to train with some people. Like I said, it wasn't originally, it wasn't a club or anything like that. It was just a group of people. Um, And the person that we actually were training with was also a former police dog person um, who was active at the time. And um, they were training police dogs. So um, I also had exposure in that realm um, from them. But we, when I would go out there and stuff like that, um, what I found is is that it was it's a tough sport to kind of get involved in. Um, it's definitely a sport that really tests the nerve of the handler almost as much as it does the dog. Uh, you have to be willing to put in the time, willing to put in the work, and you have to really take criticism well. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is a sport it is turned into a sport now of precision and i would say the dogs have to be better than they did 20 years ago um you know they have to be more precise than they did 20 years ago and um for all of those reasons i i still i still am very active in the sport of showtime i still continue to train and title dogs i still continue to work the uh lines from my original foundation dog and um and i would say that you know it was a long hard journey um you know in the very beginning tracking was really difficult i didn't understand it um and even though I didn't really understand the tracking portions of things, I, um, you know, I step, I still kept plugging away and, um, I kind of had a turning point with one of my dogs. And when I had that turning point with that dog, um, kind of everything changed. I really enjoyed the tracking. I enjoyed the time I got to spend laying the track, teaching my dog to problem solve, teaching my dog to work independently, um, which I think is something that's very, very important for a German Shepherd. And with all of that stuff and the dedication and stuff like that, then I definitely, um, I saw my scores improve. Um, and it kind of just went to show like the time and the dedication were so, so important. Then, um, you know, I just continued to work dogs in that capacity and, um, you know, and I actually just recently, um, you know, titled another dog and, um, and with all 
all of the uh, time and commitment and stuff like that, it's definitely not something I intend to give up anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, because for me, as a breeder especially, I, I feel that if I'm not out there working and training, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply these dogs that I can't really do a good job of being able to know the individual dog that I'm planning to breed. Well, for me, when selecting a dog, um, you know, as a sport dog, I'm looking for higher prey drives. I'm looking for a confident dog. I'm looking for a dog that's environmentally clear and environmentally sound that shows natural desire for chasing prey. And ideally we want to see a, full calm grip um you know on toys and whatever the puppy is playing with um but at the end of the day an eight week old puppy even a nine or ten week old puppy is still a crapshoot so you know for as much as I can say that you know these are the traits that I'm looking for when I'm looking for a sport dog or or any type of dog really um I would say that um for as much as I'm looking at those things, it's still kind of a crapshoot. I have seen dogs who were really, really great when they were young, and they kind of peter out when they get older. <clears throat> I have also, in turn, seen puppies who have shown very low prey drives, um, kind of mature into being very high prey drive, a lot of dog, a dog who needs a job. Mm-hmm. And, it, like, to a degree, it's like, yes. of the time when you're seeing things at eight, nine weeks old in a puppy, yeah, if those things are are there, typically it's going to stay there and it's going to be that way. However, um, there's still always a 10% chance that that puppy is going to go the opposite way of what you were seeing and maybe they are slower to mature. Um, However, you know, a big thing when selecting a police dog and looking at drives and traits and those types of dogs We are looking for a hard, very strong, very dominant dog, ideally. And we are looking for a dog that has real fight drive. A dog who wants to show aggression and kind of pick a fight because someone might have looked at him funny, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of a thing. Um, It's a sharper dog, for sure. Um, I would definitely say that, um, you know, that is not something that you test in a puppy for a police dog those dogs need to be closer to a year 15 months old when tested and ideally you want to test a green dog um unless you're buying a fully trained dog but ideally you want to test a full a green dog and so you can see what genetics are giving you and giving this dog and so that's one reason why police departments don't buy puppies um and, you know, that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions about people who want to get involved in breeding because, you know, everybody wants to be involved and say that, you know, like we're breeding for police dogs or we're breeding for this type of dog. And the reality is, is that you can have a litter of eight puppies and in that litter of eight puppies, you know, you might have one that turns out to be a good police quality dog um, when they mature. Mm -hmm. But that's not something that we could see at an eight-week-old, as an eight-week-old puppy. But in in the turnaround from that is is that, um, you know, those, um, the most of our sport dogs, most of our IGP, IPOs, shuts and dogs, most of those dogs have good ball drive, good hunt drive, and most of them are dogs that, um, you know, are very balanced in their temperament and they've been kind of brought up that this is a game. They don't have this. They are not necessarily out there fighting for their lives. Um, not that some of them won't buy for real, but there's a lot of them that won't. Um, and that's okay. I mean, 
there's nothing wrong with having just a really nice balanced dog that um, is taught that, you know, we play the Schultzen game on equipment and it's about gaining and possessing the object of their desire. You know, I definitely think that there are situations where people want personal protection dogs and the personal protection dog market has kind of gone up over the years. And I think that the tough part about that particular like niche of market is, is that, um, there's not a lot of consistency in the personal protection dog market. Um, a good majority of individuals who are selling dogs, they have what they would consider to be different levels of dogs available. And the downside to that is, is that, you know, I've seen some people say, well, my level one personal protection dog is a dog that doesn't even bite. It's a dog that barks on command, barks at a door, um, you know, puts on a bunch of noise, gonna alert you, and um, and the dog has excellent obedience or, and so on and so forth. And then I've seen, you know, all the way up to, you know, some people that would say, like, their level three dog is essentially a, a a sport dog, a Schutzen dog. It's a titled Schutzen dog that was a prey monster deluxe and it wouldn't bite for real if it absolutely had to. And I think that a good majority of people out there, there's just such a uh, one extreme end of the spectrum to the other extreme, even to the point where some of those like extremes of the spectrum are dogs that are flying off the handle they're not safe in public they're not safe around anybody not safe around kids um and so you know so you can't really take the dog where you might need to take the dog Mm -hmm. and i think that being realistic about someone's expectations when looking for a personal protection dog is super super important um and there are things that if i was looking for a dog I would want to kind of cross over into that market a little bit more if that makes sense mm-hmm. I guess um, like for me uh, you know obviously if I wanted a personal protection dog I would want the dog to bite when told to bite but I wouldn't want the dog to be equipment oriented and so I would want to see the dog willing and ready to engage essentially because I said so um, not because someone was showing aggression or um, challenging the dog necessarily. Mm-hmm. With that also being the case, um, one of the big things would just be though is, is that you know that's not necessarily the right dog for everyone, and that doesn't necessarily fit what everybody else's ideal type of dog is. And um, I think it's important to you know really understand what it is that your expectations are when looking at these personal protection dogs because the market is so all over the place with dogs of different capabilities and the price tags of some of those dogs are completely outlandish um and you know some people if they have it they're happy to spend over 100 grand on a dog um that fits the purpose that they want it to fit and then there's other people that you know that's not realistic and it's outside of the box of possibilities Um, but I do know there are people out there that are selling you know really good quality dogs for that purpose Mm -hmm. but I think it's important that people really talk through their expectations of the dog and what they want the dog for because um, you know with with a dog who is very well trained there's a lot of responsibility um, that needs to go into the handling of the dog too to make sure that the dog's not put into positions that are unfair and unsafe. Um, You know, and the same can be said for, you know, some people with police dogs too. I've seen it time and time again. And I think that, um, you know, where we are at in our society now is very different than where it used to be. And that's something that... um, you know, it is a little bit um, difficult for certain situations because some people want, you know, they want this dog to be a total, you know, hardcore monster 
um, either in personal protection or police work when it comes to apprehension and fight work um, training. Mm -hmm. And then they turn around and they want this dog to come home and lay on the floor and have their little kids sit on it. Um, And I'm not going to say that there haven't been some dogs that, you know, are definitely fine with that. But then in turn, I, you know, most of the time, that is not the case when you're dealing with one of these really big, strong working dogs. They might not want to have a kid trip and fall on them in the house. And, um, you know, kind of back when I got started, it was pretty common practice that, you know, the police dogs had an outdoor run. They had a dog house. It was a nice dog house, you know, that was insulated and super warm and, um, you know, those dogs rode around in those cars all day long. They've got air conditioning, but yeah, they were treated a little more like dogs. Um, and I think that, you know, in today's society is, is that we kind of, um, want to turn them more into like family animals. Mm -hmm. Um, and some of the dogs do well and some of the dogs do not. Um, it's a really fun way of, um, training and working with a dog, um, watching them learn how to navigate different scenarios, different situations where they are going to be looking for drugs or explosives, um, teaching different alert styles for dogs. Um, Primarily, what I feel most comfortable with has been teaching a passive alert for a dog. So, like, I want a passive alert of a sit. Um, or if it's a really low thing, sometimes the dog might lay down, um, with a focus to source. So I like the dog looking at source, um, to point it out to me. And, um, I like, you know, I like the way that I was taught, which was to teach a positive association. So the dog would get, uh, like a tug toy or a ball as a reward for pointing out source of odor. The evolution of that has kind of gone crazy over the years because in addition to that, um, you know, when bed bugs became a real issue um, with people traveling and a lot of movement and stuff um, across the United States, we, um, the company I worked for, provided bed bug detection dogs and typically you don't want a german shepherd for that you don't want something big and imposing you want something that's cute and little and that can you know get underneath the edges of those beds you want something that's tiny and athletic so we used a lot of beagles we used a lot of little terrier mixes and the great thing about it was so awesome that we would actually go into the animal shelters or rescues and we would try to find dogs that were maybe not the most adoptable animals because they had a really high energy level. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were really bad barkers or something like that. And they just weren't working out in situations that they had been in previously. And if they had really, really high food drive, um, you know, those were our ideal candidates. So over a, a solid 10 year period, there were hundreds and hundreds of dogs that were actually being taken out of rescues and out of shelters saving their lives and giving them a job to do where they are taken care of every day they went to work with somebody they didn't have to sit at home and be alone and were given excellent excellent lives and um those little bed bug dogs were just super fun because um it was slightly different um, working with like a food uh, dog and those dogs definitely were um, tenacious little guys mm-hmm. um, who uh, you know and they live a very long time so the handlers were able to work them for you know many many years so you know for me I guess you know I I I prefer to work a dog that is built more athletically than a dog who is built really heavy. And that's just because I feel that those dogs do last a little longer. Um, Kind of like, you know, kind of like looking at like a dog, uh, a racehorse versus a Clydesdale um, kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as my breeding program goes, like my breeding program standards are set out that, 
um, we do everything to the SV in Germany standards. Mm -hmm. So every single dog that like I incorporate into my breeding program is within the height and weight standards for the individual sex and are required to be able to pass a core class, which is actually a breed survey. And every dog in our program is also titled in the current acronym if that makes sense, um, because it used to be Schutzen, so it used to be SEH. It then turned to um, VPG at one point. It went to IPO at one point, and it also then turned around and went to IGP, which is where we're currently at. Um, with all of that being the case, is that is the triathlon of tracking obedience and protection that was set forth as a breed test for the breed in Germany originally. And so we continue to use the breeding standard that was set forth by the SV in our program for every single dog. Mm -hmm. And then as the SV has evolved into um, having different health requirements, at one point uh, when I was beginning my breeding career, that was around the time when they didn't used to do any elbow um, x-rays on the dogs. but we were kind of doing them here in the United States just to make sure. And we continued to do that um, with our dogs. So we, of course, jumped on the bandwagon for elbows. Then we turned around and we jumped on the bandwagon um, once it was available when they started testing the spines and giving us LUW ratings and OCD ratings on the spines. And so we kind of um, have continued to you know, add on any type of testing that is acceptable. And then one thing that the SV does not require that I am um, implemented into my program is, is we are also using genetic and bark testing as well. Mm-hmm. So we are running like a full genetic panel on all of our breeding animals. Um, generally, you want to see a female of about 55 to 65 pounds um, is, is an average, some up to 70, but not often. Mm-hmm. And then for males, you generally want to see them about 75 to 85, you know, give or take a little bit, uh, depending on the frame of the dog. So that's not, you know, so those lines don't necessarily have any impact on size. Okay. Um, that's probably one of the bigger misconceptions. Mm-hmm. You know, some have said that they, you know, would generalize a check dog as being a smaller, um, a smaller dog, but I have definitely not found that to be the case. Um, <laughs> but I have found that, um, you know, I have seen some oversized dogs of every bloodline and I've seen some undersized dogs of every bloodline. So I definitely think it's super important that um, it is kind of taken as more of a, um, you know, individual dog is the dog within the size standard um, or not. I definitely think as far as like the health of our of our German Shepherd breed is there have been a lot of steps um, moving forward as far as trying to create a healthier dog. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as far as where we're at right now, it's obviously extremely important um, to quality, reputable breeders that the dog have a good hip and elbow rating on the individual dog, but also learning the pedigrees that are behind the dogs and learning what dogs are, you know, potential risks within a pedigree and whether or not those dogs are, you know, a good matchup based on the pedigree of the dog that they are considering breeding to. Um, The SV in Germany um, has a hip and elbow rating system in place and one of the things that they offer us is a zw number and that zw number is a number that is given to a dog based on the genetics of the dog Mm -hmm. and that number is designed that if you are breeding two dogs the combined zw number of the dogs must be less than 200 and the average dogs are you know with good results are in the 60s and the 70s and then, you know, the higher risk dogs go up into the 80s and 90s. And then um, the extra higher risk dogs are going to be up in the, you know, 
one, 120s. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, and so by using the ZW number system, the SV in Germany has been able to reduce the number of dogs that are having failing ratings um, for hips and elbows. So um, that system, when used appropriately and when people are understanding that it's not just the dog in front of you and it's definitely that dog's brothers and sisters, that dog's parents, that dog's grandparents are all factored into things as well. Um, It can be a great tool in improving the health of the animal that you're potentially breeding. And then in addition to that, um, more tests have kind of come out as far as just genetic testing that have shown to be certain breed-specific tests. Um, So like when running, uh, for example, an Embark test, we are able to test for some of the main uh, diseases that actually plague the German Shepherd dog. One of them is DM. DM is considered to be degenerative myopathy. And DM in dogs um, is essentially a central nervous system issue where the dog begins losing um, its ability to function with its back end first, and it will slowly, slowly start working its way forward. Now, that obviously becomes a serious concern because you're looking at then a dog that might have its mind completely intact and um because its mind is completely intact but the limbs no longer function so that's one um one of the tests that is being offered through um embark that has been able to like help us i guess um you know prevent further you know further dogs by not producing dogs that are with two affected copies of the gene for DM. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, a couple other, um, you know, a couple other things that we have that we are testing for is there's two variants of hemophilia A. There is Sly syndrome in, that's been identified in our breed and MDR1, which is a multiple drug sensitivity that can happen in some shepherding type dogs. Um, and then there's urate kidney and bladder stone stuff that there's a genetic marker that they found for that. Um, yeah, Scott syndrome. And then um, there's a canine leukocyte adhesion deficiency type three that is being tested for. And um, basically a lot of um, a lot of these tests that are able to be tested for breed specifically um, are simple uh, recessive traits or, uh, do- or or a dominant, simple dominant trait. And so you can simply um, not breed affected dogs together and you can simply choose to breed a carrier to a clear dog so that you're not producing dogs that are affected. Um, and doing those types of things has definitely improved um, on dogs that are being diagnosed with disorders. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that, you know, as as a, any breeder would want to hear is, is obviously you want to have a properly healthy female who is in good body condition um, and properly muscled because the uterus itself is a muscle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all as breeders, regardless of breed, we would love to have that simple, easy, free whelp at home. Um, I would say that you know, for the most part, um, I, over the years have been wonderfully happy with the fact that I, you know, I, my females have strong, healthy, nice litters where they are able to have, you know, good whelps at home because they are working dogs and they are kept in shape and good working condition. Um, you know, obviously there can be anomalies and things like that, but in my opinion, you know, dogs that have urine inertia problems or anything like that, I would say, you know, those are dogs that should be washed from a breeding program, as that is definitely not something that would be um, something I would want to risk in future generations, for sure. Yeah. Um, 
Um, yeah, so what we're actually feeding all of our German Shepherds is an Ookshuk. Um, they have varying different uh, formulas that provide some of the higher um, calories per cup. And um, for our working dogs, we found that it works excellently. We did also have great results when we were feeding ProPlan. And, um, you know, the dogs looked great on either food. Our really only reason for essentially going more towards the Anukshuk was just because we were able to order it by the pallet. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the dogs looked fantastic on it. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> As far as the diet we're feeding, we do not feed a grain-free food. We, I, I believe that, unfortunately, there are a lot of people in any breed, not just German Shepherds, but in any breed, that are using a diet to cover up allergies um, and other problems in the dog's digestive tract. So I am actually one who subscribes to, um, I feed a chicken-based dog food to my dogs. It's not a grain-free diet, and my dogs are healthy, and my dogs don't have gut issues, and um, you know, and I I subscribe to that. We don't breed dogs that have allergies. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you can't produce a dog with an allergy, but uh, I'm way less likely to produce a dog with an allergy this way. Right. Um, so for me, um, I am, you know, I, I kind of subscribe to the. Uh, if the dog has allergies, if the dog has sensitive stomach problems and, you know, cannot eat, you know, a well-balanced proper diet, um, without having to go to raw, then that's not a dog I want in my breeding program. And for those reasons, um, I would wash a dog for that for sure. Yeah. And, and I know that it works for some people, but you know, it, one of the things that like, I'm not, I don't tell people not to feed any type of raw material, we absolutely um, say, yeah, you know, give your dog um, a raw bone to chew. Um, Mm -hmm. Absolutely give your dog, you know, like joint material and cartilage and stuff to clean teeth and, um, you know, also just to keep them busy, you know, on a super, super hot day or something. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not, I'm absolutely not against feeding um, or giving raw material to the dogs. I just don't subscribe to doing that over and above um, to cover up an allergy or um, sensitive stomach issues. Mm -hmm. But for us, we are also actively working and training and titling our dogs. And if we're going to an event, the last thing I really want to do is load up, you know, coolers of raw dog food to take to an event that I might be gone for three or four days at. And I've got to worry about you know, keeping this food um, frozen and and good and all that good stuff for these dogs. Uh, and for me, it's just not feasible. Mm-hmm. Um, I also find that a lot of raw-fed dogs tend to be kind of picky. Um, and that's maybe that's just my personal experience. So mm-hmm. maybe other people have not experienced that, but I have found that. Um, so... Um, my heck, I mean, like when I train and um, when I'm working with my puppies, I'm using their dog food, like their dog kibble, mm-hmm. and they have high food drive. So I kind of subscribe to the, you know, I want a dog that has high food drive, and I don't want to pick, and I don't want to create any type of pickiness right. either. Right. I don't. Um, I my 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 true love um, of the breed kind of always started with. Um, a female who was my foundation dog, which was a half check, half DDR dog. Mm. Um, I have some, some all check line dogs and I have, um, and I have some all East German DDR dogs. Um, and sometimes they do, sometimes I do cross those bloodlines. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, and sometimes I don't, sometimes it's an all East German breeding and sometimes it's an all, uh, Czech breeding for me. I guess the main thing about the Czech dogs was just that I liked a dog that fit into my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I liked a dog that had a little bit of nerve to it. So the dog was not going to just, you know, roll over and, you know, let someone break into my home, break into my car, um, 
you know, do something shady in a parking lot kind of a thing um, while I was traveling. And, um, you know, I found, I found these dogs were, they just fit my lifestyle because I could do Schutzend. I could do police work with these dogs um, and use them as demo dogs. And I could, you know, take them out and, you know, do explosive training um, and have them search for bombs to where they could be used at, you know, an event to, um, you know, keep the, uh, uh, the environment safe make sure that people aren't bringing in things they shouldn't be bringing in mm-hmm. um, to, uh, you know, certain events that might be happening. Mm-hmm. And these were dogs that, you know, they they also, you know, hang out in my house and watch Netflix with me or a movie or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, they were just dogs that fit into my lifestyle. And so I've always tried to maintain this very nice balance in my program where it's not about breeding extremes. It's not about trying to get the meanest thing that I could possibly get. It was always about the total dog. I want the dog that can kind of do it all. Mm-hmm. Well, to tell you the truth is, is that you know, I have personally found that a lot of a lot of the Malinois don't really have an off switch, um, and they're a little sharper dogs, a little more react first, never ask questions. And the same thing goes with the Dutch Shepherds. Um, I kind of find them to be a little bit more of like a workhorse um, that don't generally make the best, like, family dogs, turn it off, chill out with you, mm-hmm. that kind of dog. I've, I've seen a multitude of them that are very, very sweet, very, very snuggly with their owner and stuff like that. Um, so I would not... Um, in any way say that they can't be really good dogs uh, for their owners and stuff like that. But I, I just generally do not see that those dogs are dogs that, um, you know, can just live loose in the house and essentially hang out as like a companion. Um, I, well, right. As a norm, as a generalization. And so typically, yes, I, that's, I would generally recommend getting something like a German Shepherd that is a little bit more adaptable mm-hmm. and a little less dry, all drive kind of type dog uh, for somebody who's looking for something that they can live with. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't have any other breeds. Um, my Everything I do is specifically dedicated to the German Shepherd. Mm-hmm. Um, I religiously study and stay up to date on genetics and bloodlines and um you know the the dogs so that when i look at a pedigree i can know what types of traits are coming from these individual dogs and what they're bringing forward um versus something that they maybe that dog is themselves but not necessarily the dog is producing it and um I really want, I really feel that I focus wholly on the German Shepherd and kind of be the best that I absolutely can mm-hmm. with my single, single breed, as opposed to trying to spread myself too thin right. and not be able to dedicate what is necessary to another breed that I'm not nearly as passionate about working. But with that said, is that if I wanted or if I had the time, mm-hmm. which I do not, I would absolutely love to have a working Karen Terrier from a working working line Karen Terrier. I am a sucker for them, and I would absolutely own one if I had the time, but I don't. So maybe one day I'll have another one, um, but it would absolutely need to be a Karen that was a working quality Karen. Like, I I wanted to go out there and do exactly what they were bred to do. Um, destroy the moles. Um, and, you know, basically vermin hunt. I, that is what I wanted to do. Um, and if you can't do that, then I don't want it. Um, because that's just, that's just the kind of person I am. I, I am a wholehearted believer that... We bred these dogs. The genetics should be there to do what they were bred to do. It's not in all. Ha- it's not 
in all in how you raise them um, kind of a mentality. And I definitely want, you know, I definitely at one point want to have another Karen and I want it to do what Karens do best. And that's be terrorists. (laughs) (laughs) I want a terrorist. Um, So, yeah. um, So, yeah, I do have a special place in my heart. One day, (laughs) maybe. um, I'll give me a little honorary terrier. So, absolutely. Absolutely. But at the same time, as, you know, as at the same time as I wholeheartedly agree that that's kind of, you know, where we're stuck at. And I think a lot of it is, though, is just because. The reality is that many people want to breed their animal because they believe that their dog is the best thing in the world. And it it might be the best dog for them mm-hmm. that makes this the most wonderful thing that they've ever had. And I would never want someone to not love their dog to the fullest. But just because a dog is you're a great family dog especially a german shepherd that was designed to have a job just because it is the greatest family dog in the world that doesn't mean that this is a breeding quality animal it can be a great pet um and i think that that's one of the things that you know is a little bit of a hard thing for me knowing what i know about Mm -hmm. the dogs and working the dogs that i've worked is is that i I have a I have a, th- a spot I guess in my mind where I say you know even as a working dog breeder we are still producing dogs that make good pets just because my dogs have shoots and titles on them and work and do all these things doesn't mean every single puppy in the litter is going to be a working quality dog and so we can absolutely accommodate people with good quality companion animals as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that might mean that somebody has to wait a little longer or, you know, or something like that so that they get the right puppy for them and their lifestyle. But there is no positive thing that will come from the breeding of sub-quality, sub-par genetics, or animals that just have a wonderful temperament. Mm-hmm. Um, because if we only breed good, loving family pets to make more good, loving family pets, then we will no longer have working bred dogs. Mm-hmm. And so I do have, um, you know, that, and that's unfortunately not that we want to push an elitist mentality out. But the things that everybody loves about a breed are the things that the breed was designed for. Absolutely, you can. It doesn't mean that your puppy is going to come home and be the best pet that it could be when the dog matures and is finished. But it definitely means that, like, if you take your working dog, if you do the proper training, proper exposure and stuff like that, you can have both. You just won't have both right now. And sometimes people just need to, you know, pump the brakes a little bit on their expectations of these, of these little guys. But, um, you know, it's, there's, you know, there's definitely a, there's definitely a mindset, um, that we have, especially in the United States, of course, um, where a lot of people, um, they don't want to be educated because they don't want to hear the negatives Mm -hmm. about the animal in front of them. And one of the biggest things that's super important for a breeder is to be objective about the dog in front of you. And if you can't tell me all the good things about your dog and all the bad things about your dog, then you can't make a good decision on whether or not this dog is a good breeding animal or not. Mm -hmm. So you need to understand faults and the idea that, you know, and the idea that somebody is like, I don't care what the standard is for our breed. I only care what my personal belief is. That is what's doing most harms, harm to all of our purebred dogs out there. Um, and that's what's making, um, that's what's making health issues come cropping up more often. And that's what's making, um, more animals that, um, you know, are outside of the breed standard and that's where you get some of these 
mutated genes from, and that's where you get some of these um, secondary issues of, um, you know, allergies or skin problems and stuff like that. And it and it definitely comes from dogs that are being um, bred outside of the standard based on color and things like that. You know, there are some dogs that you know, may seem like that they would be a wonderful addition to someone's environment, but maybe in truth, it's really not. Um, You know, these German shepherds, they shed a lot all the time, you know, and so it's called a German shedder for a reason. Um, So um, with that being said, you know, we definitely don't expect you know, we don't expect these dogs to not shut all the time. And, you know, they I would say that a good majority of German Shepherds, they go through, you know, a weird fear period. And when they do go through that weird fear period, they might hackle at strangers. They might be a slight bit reactive. And, you know, it's just important that you're working with a trainer. And it's important that you're able to work that dog through the um, stage that it might go through. And, you know, and I think that that's also something that a lot of people are making the mistake of is is they don't realize that, you know, it's a baby. And, you know, if it's totally okay for a baby to go through, you know, a stage and have undesirable, you know, behavior in a certain situation, just like you wouldn't expect, you know, we wouldn't necessarily expect every single, you know, kid to be the same, and we wouldn't necessarily expect kids to want to be best friends with every single stranger, whereas some kids are extremely friendly, and some are like, yeah, no, stranger danger, and stuff like that, and I feel like, you know, the same kind of question our German Shepherds is, you know, there's nothing wrong with a puppy that goes through a spell, it's all about just teaching them that they're safe, and that you're going to advocate for them during those fear periods. Mm-hmm.